0: This episode of TGC Q&A's Christians in Healthcare series is sponsored by Remodel Health. Remodel Health is the health benefits software and consulting that helps employers save money and care better for their team. To learn how you can save an average of 35% on health benefits, visit remodelhealth.com slash TGC. You're listening to TGC Q&A, a podcast from the Gospel Coalition, and this is the Christians in Healthcare series where we respond to questions at the intersection of faith and medicine. My name is Bob Cutillo and I'm a family physician. I've been one for quite a few years, uh, mostly serving underserved populations in urban America and Africa as a missionary. Most recently I have been teaching medical students at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. I've been teaching pastoral and chaplaincy students at uh, Denver Seminary, and I'm the medical director of St. Benedict's Health and Healing Ministry, which is a outreach to underserved populations, especially the homeless. And apropos to our conversation this morning, in 2016, I collaborated with the Gospel Coalition and Crossway to publish Pursuing Health in an Anxious Age, which will be quite pertinent to the questions that I'll be answering today, or at least responding to. So the questions that I'm going to be responding to, we've received from you and um, these are very good questions, ones that I have wrestled with for years. So in that light, um, they're not questions where I'm going to have a simple true false answer for you or even an A, B, C, D, but try to give you um, things to reflect about because really these represent ongoing challenges, these questions, they're they're profound questions that we must face uh, with ongoing prayer and relationship with the Lord. So with that in mind, let me start reading some of the questions. There's three of them that I'm going to respond to today and see if we can give some reflections that will help you in your thinking of these important matters. So the first question is, what are some signs that I've made an idol out of pursuing health or having good health? So for that question, I'd like to give you three things to ask yourself to try to help process um, that question because it's a very big one. It's easy to make an idol out of health. Uh, because it's such an important thing. It's such a thing that we value so much. It's something that we really want and desire greatly. So it can easily become an idol. So the first question I'd ask you, and this is pr- pretty much checking on your attitude. And the question I ask you is, am I considering my health as something I have, as something I possess, like it's a, like it's mine as a possession? Because if you begin to think of it that way, as a possession, then you begin to delude yourself into actually believing you can control it. And so really the attitude question is, am I considering health as a possession or do I realize from a Christian perspective that it's a gift? Now, if you're considering it as a possession, um, some of the ways you'll see that working out is you engage in efforts to be healthy, thinking that you will surely be successful if you're only diligent in carrying them out, which gives you the distinct sense that if you do the right things, you can control your health. So if you find yourself thinking that, That's a a question you need to ask yourself, am I thinking I'm controlling my health? And then of course, when you are healthy and you have that attitude, you feel that you're only getting what you deserve. So instead of being thankful for your health, you're more expecting things to turn out well. And when they do, you're not grateful, you're just satisfied that you've been duly rewarded for your efforts. And I think that a lack of gratitude for any measure of health you have, when we realize that it's a gift given by God, and fragile, and fretful, and not easy to have, then if you think you have it, and you own it, and you control it, that's a big warning sign. One of the signs of also would be, and I've seen this in many of my friends, is being surprised when you get sick. Like, oh my goodness, why am I sick? Instead of realizing that sickness is a part and parcel of our lives, and uh, it's not something we control. So if you find that every time you get sick, you're shocked at it, that may be a sign that you're thinking you have your health in control. And then one last subtext of this first question you're asking yourself, is health a possession or a gift? If you're thinking it's a possession and you're trying to control it, I often see people, Christians included, depending way too much on healthcare and medicine to save you. So in this day and age, medicine has so much to offer. And thank God that we are living this age where we have so much good medicine that we can depend upon. It's so much that has been done to reduce the ravages of sickness and uh, the dangers of death. But if you find yourself believing all the promises that medicine is making to you, as if they can bandage all your wounds, and you depend upon them and really expect them to be your savior, that's another sign that maybe you're trying to possess your health instead of be thankful for it. Now, the second question I ask you to ask yourself when you're wondering if you might be making an idol out of health is, are you pursuing health as an end in itself or as a means to an end? And that's a really important thing because health is such a good that we can make it a primary good, but it is not a primary good. It's always a secondary good. And as Christians, it's always meant as a way to glorify God. So if we're not using it as a means to an end, but as an end in itself, then we are in danger of idolizing it. I think when you see people trying to be healthy, whether, whether it's the way they eat or the way they exercise, or you go to a gym or you go to a bike path and you're exercising, you can't tell from that, well, the way that person is exercising whether they're pursuing health as a means or an end. You can't tell from the actual activity. It's re- more the spirit in what you're doing. And as a small example, I can remember one time I was on a bike path and I saw all these people vigorously exercising and running and just really killing themselves to be healthy, I think. And then I saw this man riding by in his bicycle, and he had one of those trailers behind it. And you know how the, we, many of the young families have their little kids in the trailers, like two or three years old. But this one was different because there was a nine-year-old child in there, a nine-year-old child who's much heavier. And when I looked and saw it, it was a nine-year-old child with cerebral palsy. And this man was bicycling this nine-year-old child around the bike path. And I know for his case, he was pursuing, he was being very healthy. He was probably getting more healthy than anybody there. But I knew that he was doing it with a different end in mind to serve his neighbor. And so think about whether you're pursuing health as a means to an end, that we receive health as a gift. We nurture health not to own it or possess it or to have it as an end, but as a way for us to live faithfully and give glory to God. So that's another question. And then the last question I would ask you, if you are trying to discern whether you're getting too tied up in pursuing health, is are you exceedingly worried and anxious about your health? Are you regularly afraid you might lose it at any time and you're hypersensitive to any changes in your body that suggest a threat to your health, even when there's no direct threats to it? Now, we're going to address this question in the, in, when we come to the third question, but that's more with a direct threat. But what I'm talking about here, there's nothing going on that's directly threatening your health, but you're worried about what might happen rather than what's happening. And over the 30 plus years that I've been a physician, I've met more and more people coming to see me, not because there's anything wrong with them, but because they're afraid of what might be wrong with them or afraid of what might happen. In fact, some people have even called it pre-traumatic stress disorder instead of post-traumatic stress disorder, even before anything happens, we're worried about what might happen. And, you know, the scripture gives us great wisdom. Of course, Jesus knew it when he said, who can add even a single hour to your life by worrying? And in fact, the paradox is the more you worry, the less healthy you are. So in fact, worrying about your health is only going to make you less healthy. I think probably in summing up this question, one of the things that underlies it is I think Christians in our society have lost a Christian view of suffering, that we are so uncomfortable with it that we seek to avoid it at all costs, when sometimes it's the only way through which God leads us into a deeper relationship with Christ. I think of a quote from a Christian writer of the last century. She said, the extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural cure for suffering, but a supernatural use of it. And we have in Christ on the cross a dramatic relationship with suffering that should change how we view suffering, despite all the modern messages that we have in our society, that suffering is something we can avoid, something that has no purpose, and something that we should get rid of uh, completely. So we need to regain that Christian view of suffering. Now, I want to say that God knows what we long for. This is important as you try to let go of health as an idol. He's coming to restore us to complete health. So he knows deep down this desire we have to be fully healthy. But in the meantime, while we're waiting, we do well to remember that though, meanwhile, we groan, each of our individual lives is lovingly enclosed in the story of God. And that's a story of restoration, of redemption, and of making all things new. So, in that invitation, is an invitation to trust what God will do in our deep desire for complete health. Now the second question is uh, also one that I've thought a great deal about in my years as a physician. In what ways does your faith intersect with providing patients with the best medical care? So I'm gonna answer that question a little bit more briefly, but basically on two levels. The first level is, I would say that that question would apply to any work we do. So that when I think of work, I think of Colossians 3, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for humanity or for other people or to please other people. So I think that if you're doing your work with all your heart, and I might add also with your mind and your soul and your body, you give your work because you're working for God. So it doesn't matter what work we're doing. Our excellence in our work is an honoring of God. And that would apply to me as a physician. It would apply to you and your stages of work. It's just a simple thing that we honor God when we pursue excellence in our work. The second level that I'd answer the question pertains more specifically to healthcare and medicine, though I would say it's not only so, it would apply in other places and ask you to think it best in your own places of work, but it's the way I've tried to understand the doctor patient relationship. That has been the core of what medicine has been throughout history. It's why I went into medicine is to understand and nurture that doctor patient relationship. And what I draw upon and what I've tried to draw upon over the years in my in my biblical reading, is my Christian understanding of relationship to illuminate the doctor-patient relationship. And that means that instead of seeing that relationship as a contract, I see it as a covenant. So if I see my relationship with my patients as covenant and not contract, and then all of the things that I think of in God's covenant with humanity, his commitment to us, his willingness to walk with us through suffering, Am I willing to walk with my patients through suffering? Am I willing to be trustworthy? Because we know that no matter what, however whether we are in the, in the Christian covenant relationship, God is always trustworthy. And so I've always sought to be a trustworthy source of care for my patients. We live in a world where most people don't trust anyone. There's very few people that have relationships that they can trust in. But my patients need to be able to put their trust in me especially in their vulnerability to being sick. And so I have a high call if they're trying to put their trust in me to be found trustworthy. And so for that reason, there's a deep connection between my Christian faith, my covenantal relationship with God, and my desire to have a covenantal relationship with my patients. And then the third question, and this one is quite apropos and current to our situation. How do I avoid being ruled by fear of getting sick? especially in this pandemic? Is my increased fear normal? Well, I can see where that question came from, and it's a very valid and very important question for us to consider. Let me first say that it's appropriate to feel afraid of things like plagues that stalk in the darkness and pestilences that lay waste in the noontime. Sickness, suffering, and death are scary things. And when I think about Psalm 91 and talks about not fearing the terrors of the night, in honesty, I still feel like the frightened little boy I used to be who would look under the bed to make sure there was no monsters there. Deep down, we are still frightened little children. God knows that. The question is not whether we have the tendency to be frightened and scared. The question really is how does our faith modulate that fear that it would not rule over us or enslave us? And I think for that, it's important to take the firm grasp of some significant biblical truths. They're there throughout scripture, but I think often we sidestep them as we think of ourselves in control and, and not being in a world that's so uncertain and yet boom, a pandemic comes and all of a sudden we face uncertainty at the same level as most of the world has been facing uncertainty forever and still does. But we have somehow isolated, insulated ourselves from that. But in fact, The biblical truth is still the same today, yesterday, and forever. We are frail, finite, and fragile creatures. Whichever one of those ones bothers you the most, we're all three of those. So we should not be surprised by the limitations of our body. The second thing is that this incompleteness is part and parcel of who we are. God made us in our humanity to be frail, finite, and fragile creatures. And though we've grown inwardly in that recognition, The beautiful thing is that God is aware of our desire for wholeness. God is aware of our desire for wholeness. He knows that we are but dust. He knows that our days are limited. He knows that we groan in our bodies. What has God done for us? He's delivered us from the fear of death. This is something that is the most miraculous thing God could do for us because of how much it dominates our, our living without him. One of my favorite scriptures is Hebrews 2, 14 and 15 in this sense. And it says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The words are as clear as can be, all our lives apart from Jesus, we are held in slavery by our fear of death. In Christ. He frees us from the fear of death. Now, I want to be clear, it's not because we're not going to die. Don't forget that he's delivered us from the fear of death, but we, biologically speaking, we are still going to die. The reason he, we can be no longer afraid of death is because he's going to resurrect us from the dead. That's a whole nother ball of wax, if you will. I think of um, the story of, in John 11 when Lazarus is raised from the dead and we know what a dramatic story that is, but the line that sticks out to me in this context is John 11:37. 37. Jesus has come back to Mary and Martha and Lazarus is in the grave and the people say, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Do you see what a small vision they have? They were thinking about, couldn't, of course Jesus could have prevented him from dying, but what Jesus intended to do was much greater, which was to resurrect him from the dead, eternal life. This is why we don't fear death, not because we're not going to die. Now, we have to fight our fear with what? With our faith. It's our faith in what God will do that can deliver us from the fear of death. I think that sometimes we wonder what's the opposite of faith, and we think it's doubt. I think the scripture says the opposite of faith is fear, and that it's faith that can dramatically alter our fear as we respond to this question. I think of uh, a couple of passages in the the New Testament of healings where Jairus, who was the synagogue ruler, and his daughter was sick and actually finally died. But on the way, Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Another story is when the disciples are in the boat, and Jesus is asleep miraculously at at that one end. And the storm comes up, and they're scared as can be. And Jesus says to them, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? So I encourage you in this question of fear to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our faith in him, and what he has done for us, is the way that we can modulate the fear that is a part of all of our lives because really deep down we're still those frightened little children who are afraid of the monsters under the bed. As we close, I want to just be very careful to say in this day and age, when you ask Jesus, to come into your life, and when you receive him, and he begins to live in you, he delivers you from the fear of death, but that should never turn into any form of arrogance. And I think that there's sometimes when people think that they have been delivered from death, and they're Christians, that they get a superior attitude to other people who are still struggling under that shadow of death. So it should never turn to arrogance. And I think maybe the best way to end this conversation is to illustrate that, this principle with a person. Because it's someone that I have thought of and admired for years, and I think illustrates this idea of how do we receive this deliverance from fear of death and enter into life with it in a humble way. It's a doctor that, um, in Africa, he it was, it was in northern Uganda during an Ebola crisis about 20 years ago. His name was Dr. Matthew. He was a 42-year-old man. He was in charge of the hospital. And Ebola hit. And he was overwhelmed. And he had a a wife and children, and they wanted him to move to Kampala to get away from the hospital and the dangers. But he said, and this was his faith in action. He said, "I've been called to be there for my patients." And so, Dr. Matthew, for principles of his faith, decided to stay put in the hospital and serve the Ebola patients. And what he illustrates is two things. First of all, he didn't take his health for granted. He followed personal protective equipment. He tried to do everything he could to reduce the risk of getting sick. He, he respected his health. He appreciated his health as a gift, and he sought to nurture it and protect it. But again, to use it for the sake of others, he was willing to go where there was great risk. And unfortunately, one night in the, in the rush of a very sick patient, he forgot to put his, his goggles on. And within a week he had a fever, and within a week later he had died. And he's honored in that hospital, and I only bring him up here to honor the principle that if we are truly to live without fear of death and not be arrogant, but to instead live humbly and respectfully, we will live sacrificially. And that's when we see someone living humbly and respectfully and sacrificially, then we know that they're walking in between, both respecting and cherishing their health as a gift, but not trying to protect it and own it or control it.